Well, I want to start with a bit of good news uh, from the, uh, the reports that come from media. I love this headline. California churches permanently quarantine Governor Newsom. I don't know if you watch what's coming in the Supreme Court. The, uh, the liberals are losing their mind right now over some of the things that are happening. Little did they know that when you push the skinny kid on the, on the uh, playground, there comes a point at which he pushes back twice as hard. And I really think that in many ways, this has been engineered by God to get the church back on track and to get a nation back on track. Now, time will prove that that's either true or not true, but let me read uh, some of what this article says from the Liberty Council. Governor Ga uh, Gavin Newsom's COVID restrictions intentionally discriminated against churches while providing preferential treatment to many secular businesses and gatherings. The Supreme Court intervened multiple times to provide relief. California may never again place discriminatory restrictions on churches and places of worship. This is according to the Supreme Court. Governor Gavin Newsom has now been permanently quarantined and may not violate the First Amendment rights of churches and places of worship again. Amen. Can I just tell you that did not happen because churches closed their doors during this season. It happened because churches like Harvest Rock, all right, like, like us, like Awaken and other churches said, we're gonna stay open even if we get fined and go to jail. You see, it doesn't happen. I, I want you to really think about this. Because a lot of say, oh great, the, all the churches won. No, only some of the churches won. Keep it in mind, only some of the churches won in this season. Because what happens when something harder, more difficult, more challenging come that comes from a different angle at the churches? Those same churches are gonna close up and not stand. There are Christians who don't stand. There are Christians who are not willing to say Jesus is Lord and I will stand. You have to be one of those Christians. If you don't think we're in the latter times of the latter days and wake up, this world is changing very, very quickly and there are signs of the times every day, every day in your media feeds. Here's another article and the reason this one caught me was because Mike Evans is one of the people we interviewed for the Friends of Israel. And Mike is a Jew who has a Facebook page with 77 million followers on it. And it's, it's a prayer for Jerusalem. That's all it is, prayer for Jerusalem. But listen to this headline. Facebook shuts down pro-Israel page targeted by cyber terrorism campaign. Now I want you to notice what happened here. They closed it down, but they freely admitted it wasn't the people on that site. It was actually coming from anti-Semitic people challenging and trying to shut it down. So the strategy was to go in behind the door and to close it down. Facebook shut down a pro-Israel page that reportedly had 77 million followers after a cyber terrorism campaign by radical Islamic groups who coordinated to target it with hate speech. So what they did, they went in and they acted like they were Jewish people and they were anti-Palestinian in the middle of this conflict with Hamas. And you see the strategy of the enemy is always, is always behind the scene. It's never up front. It's never with integrity. And that's what we see happening here in this situation. 
All right, now let me show you another one. that Now this causes the liberals to lose their mind. If you're a liberal, we love you, but you're losing your mind over this one. Ready? Supreme Court to hear abortion case challenging Roe versus Wade. By the way, this was found in that very uh, highly respected conservative uh, newspaper, the New York Times. <laughs> Losing their mind. Listen to what it says. Alarm bells are ringing loudly about the threat to reproductive rights. Nancy Northrup, the president of the Center for Reproductive Rights, said in a statement, quote, the Supreme Court just agreed to review an abortion ban unquestionably violates nearly 50 years of Supreme Court precedent and is a test case to overturn Roe versus Wade. I don't know about you, but that's some pretty good news. <laughs> Poor Nancy. <laughs> so what difference does it really make anyway? Aren't we just here for a little while and then gone? I mean, that's what James said. Your life is but a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Job said your life is like sparks that fly upward and then they dissipate into the air and you're gone. How many times have you been to a funeral and you look back and say, my, they were so young? And regardless whether they lived to be 90 or 120 or, or even longer, it was still a short life, wasn't it? But when we begin to think about the difference that we make, you see, if your name is not in the headlines, you might assume that you don't make a difference in the world, but that's not true. I would venture to say that most of the people that make a difference in the world will never have their name in a headline. Most of the people that will change society will never have their name in a headline. They will never speak to large crowds. They'll never be on television. They'll never be in a political office. But they were change agents because little by little they changed a generation that was in their own household, and they changed a generation within their household, and they changed a generation within their household. And sons and daughters rose up who loved the Lord Jesus Christ and they raised children to love the Lord Jesus Christ and they stopped that downward cycle of corruption and sin and despair that happens in so many families because there is no God present in that household. The Bible promises us that if we raise up a child in the way they will go, they will not depart when they were old. That does not mean, let me tell you what it does not mean. It does not mean you take your kids to church when it's convenient and you're gonna be guaranteed godly children when they get old. It means that you train them, that is you work them like an athlete, you pour into them the life of God every single day and you don't let the tail wag the dog, you, you remain the dog that wags the tail. Parents are, are succumbing to their children. They're asked, their children are actually controlling the destiny of the parents, and everything has gone into reverse, and I want you to know that's not God's plan, that's not God's way. In Genesis chapter five, verses one and two, you thought I was kidding about preaching on genealogies. This is a first. Maybe a last, but this is a first. It says, this is the book of the genealogy of Adam. For those of you who may not know the Bible, Adam was the first man God created, and Adam and Eve became those, those head, those, that head couple in, in bringing about life on planet Earth. And it says, in, that, in the day that God created man, he made him in the likeness of God, he created them male and female and blessed them and called them mankind in the day that they were created. Now, I could probably spend a month just on those two verses. But what I wanna do is I wanna take you on a journey of what he says there. 
And then we're going to look at 10 generations that follow Adam in his genealogy. Let's look first of all what God said. He said that in the day that he created him. You see, creation is the belief that the universe and living organisms originate from specific acts of divine creation as in the biblical account, rather than by natural processes such as evolution. If you are a Christian and you claim to believe the Bible, then you have no choice but to be a creationist. If the Bible is only a relative document for religious purposes to guide moral behavior, then you have an out, because now the Bible is not the inspired, infallible word of the living God. But you see, if you say, I believe what God says, then the Bible says that God created everything out of nothing. That in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That God went through day by day, and he created, he created, he created, and he literally spoke things into existence. You see, in every, gen in every genealogy, if you don't go back to a creator God, what do you go back to? You go back to an evolutionary process whereby you pulled yourself out of your relatives, pulled themselves out of the primeval sludge billions of years ago only to lose tails and fins and grow lungs and then become a part of society today. If that is the case and we have diminished in man what is significant about man, that is we are created in the image of God and we are different from the animal world that was not created in the image of God. So God reminds us here about creation. He also reminds us about this idea of the image of God. The Bible says in Genesis 1.26 that God created them, male and female, in the image of God. What is it about the image of God that we are to understand? Well, first of all, it is a capacity to understand God of the universe, to connect with him, to relate to him in all ways. It is something that makes us different, again, from the animal world. Do you realize that angels are not created in the image of God? The animal world is not created in the image of God. Only man and woman are created in the image of God. This is what makes life sacred. This is why we don't buy in to the lie that it's just a fetus and not a human being. It is because of the image of God. The reason that, that the Dutch people and people all across Europe would hide the Jews during that period of time when Nazi regime came across Europe, it was because of the image of God, because mankind was significant, was important. They would risk their very lives to save someone. The reason you jump out in front of a car to save the life of a child is because of the image of God. It is because life is sacred. Even one life is sacred in the sight of God because of the image of God. And then notice what else he said. He created them male and female. He made it really simple. It's very complicated today. I recently read there's 112 genders. I wonder if there'll be a bathroom for every one of those. <laughs> Let me just make a statement and make it really clear. Men and women are different. If you've been married very long, you know this to be a fact. <laughs> if you're dating, you know this to be a fact. These are just facts that cannot be dismissed. They have, they're different because they have hormones. Guys don't know what those are. They don't even know what, when it's gonna happen. 
Don't know how to spell it, don't know where it's coming from, it's just there. They have different brains. I think everything I, I say is logical. The way I process, logical. My wife doesn't think that. Why? Well, she has a different brain than me. Hey, guess what? Chromosomes, different. Bodies, thank God, different. <laughs> These are differences, right? I don't care how many peer-reviewed studies you, you, you read, or they do, it does not change science. Now I realize everything I'm going to say up to this point and then probably continuing is going to be counterculture. But if I don't say it, who's going to? It seems like the voices are silent across America. He also then said he made male and female and he called them mankind. You see, we have something today called the critical race theory. Do you know it really doesn't exist outside of America? I don't know if you know this. But America becomes the target because somehow we have messed everybody up by the way that we founded our country, the beliefs we have in the country, the religion we have in the country, all of these things mess everybody up. But critical race theory, just so I go on record as saying it, and you're clear about what I'm saying, entirely violates a biblical worldview. I'm gonna say it again. It entirely violates a biblical worldview. It suggests that people are defined by their race rather than by their individual acts and attitudes. We need to judge people by how they live their life, their behavior, and the attitudes they have toward other people, not on a basis of race. Now, I realize that I am uh, public enemy number one as a white male, and a pretty white male, <laughs> I might add. Thank you, my Dutch heritage. Could they not have just married one African-American or one Spanish and give me a little bit of pigmentation? <laughs> it is what it is, right? He also tells us that there's blessings and favor. He said, and he blessed them. He blessed them. You see, blessings and favor come through your genealogical line. The Bible says, if you, fathers and mothers, if you will live out your life in a way that is pleasing unto the Lord, there will be a blessing that'll come to a thousand generations. Think of that. Just, just you, even if they don't live out that life fully, they're gonna get blessed by you. One of the reasons that we are to honor and love God is for the blessing of future generations, not just for us. You see, God never designed it to be about us. It designed it to be about generations to come, that in the days ahead, your children's children would grow up and, and they would love the Lord their God and they would be change agents in the world and they would respect mankind and they would, they would move into places of influence like government and politics and medicine and education, all those things, and they would make a difference in the world because somehow they received the blessings that came down through that genealogical line. One of the most interesting ones, when you read the genealogies, which I'm not prone to do, can I be honest? But when you do, you'll find blessings that are set inside of genealogical tables that you never imagined would be there. One of those is in 1 Chronicles chapter four. The prayer of Jabez is embedded in the genealogical record, and it says, now Jabez was more honorable than his brothers, 
And his mother called his name Jabez, saying, because I have borne him in pain. Now, it's really interesting that basically his name was Pain. Not exactly the great name. It was so difficult to have you that I decided you name you Pain. But the contradiction came because he was more honorable than all of his brothers who didn't have that same name. Because you see, character and attitude trumps even the designation that people put on you in life. People may have diminished you in life, may may have thought less of you in life. You may not have succeeded like other people did, but I want you to know that God doesn't see things that way. He sees you, he sees your heart, he sees who you are as a person creating the image, and when you have a heart for God, God sees that, and God responds to that in a powerful way. Listen to what it says, and Jabez called on the God of Israel. There's something that's transitional here in this sentence that's so amazing. He's called by a name that he doesn't fit. He's honoring the God of Israel, and then he says, oh, that you would bless me indeed. Have you prayed that lately? Would you bless me indeed and enlarge my territory that your hand would be upon me and that you would keep me from evil that I may not cause pain? My name is pain. I don't want to be an instrument of pain to anyone. Do you see how, how wholesome this whole blessing was? And it's locked right into the genealogy that we read in First Chronicles 4. And it says, so God granted what he requested. You know, God likes to answer your prayers. You ever, you ever realize a lot of your prayers have been answered, you just forgot what you prayed. Are, hello? Are you with me on this one? You forget what you prayed years ago. All of a sudden you get blessed. Boy, this is great. Look how God's blessing me. You forgot you prayed that. Because sometimes praying is just kind of like the random just running of your mouth. God, would you do this? Would you do that? And you don't remember what all you're praying. You're just trying to get out of a mess. And God says, all of a sudden you wake up and you go like, this is what I, this is exactly what I prayed for. Exactly down to every detail. This is what I prayed for. You know, when God reveals truth, he never gives it to you the easy way. Have you ever noticed that? I mean, I'm talking about the deep truths of God. For those of you who, are, uh, who, who never really kind of dig deep into the word of God, you become the beneficiary uh, when, when someone digs deep for you and shows you things, but the real blessing will come when you dig yourself, right? Uh, my wife was, went up hiking uh, yesterday, and she came back and said all these people were, were panning for gold. And uh, I remember growing up, we lived in Colorado, I was born in Colorado, and and about every five miles, there was a little sign, hand-painted, uh, that said, pan for gold, five bucks. You know, the only guy that made money was the guy that got the five bucks. <laughs> and most of the time, you got what was called fool's gold. Can I just tell you, if you don't do your own work in the Word of God, you're going to get fool's gold. You're going to pan for, you're going to pay five bucks, you're going to get nothing. You have to go deep. Proverbs chapter 25, verse 2, make note of this scripture. It says, it is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the glory of kings to search out a matter. So what God does is he takes and he, he buries the best stuff deep to see if you have the tenacity and the desire to go after it. 
The richest things on earth are not setting on the surface. The gold, it's down deep. The diamonds are buried. The oil, it's below the surface. So is true in the Word of God. You can read the Word of God, and it's like entering into the, the first uh, floor of a tall building. And you find great truths there. You find things like, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and God so loved, for loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And those are great first-level truths. But then you go up to the second floor, and things get a little bit more difficult to find. But by the time you reach the top of that skyscraper, you're digging deep things, and there's few people up there with you. But the blessing comes when you probe into the depths of God and you begin to see God in his nature for who he is. And you're just amazed. You're almost sometimes dumbfounded by what you find about God when you go deep with God. I want to encourage you to go deep with God. Just read your Bible, meditate on it, pray for the Holy Spirit to give you insight into it. Don't expect you're going to understand everything. I don't understand everything. I don't know anyone who does, but I, it doesn't stop the quest. The pressing on. Let's take a look at some of these individuals that are found in the book of uh, Genesis chapter five. The first one is Adam. His name means man. Very simple. Not really creative. Kind of like a fly. What's that? That's a fly. What does it do? It flies. <laughs> Have you ever stopped to think about something? They're just like, of course, so when Adam was naming, I guess he just, that flies, that's a fly. You know, what's the next thing gonna do? I don't know, I guess it's a bird. Oh, this one looks like a bird, but it can't fly. I guess it's a duck. <laughs> I mean, aren't words fun? Fly. So Adam was man. But then Seth comes along, and Seth means appointed. Appointed. Cain and Abel, of course, have gone through this tragic moment where Cain has killed his brother. Eve gives birth to Seth and says, this is appointed that I don't lose this one. Then there's Enosh, and his name means mortal. You begin to realize all of a sudden we don't live forever, that there's something that's frail about all of us. And then there's Kenan, and his name means sorrow. Now, we don't have all the explanation in these genealogies why the mother and or father named these children what they did, but in the Bible, they always are significant because they speak to the character or to the purpose that person has on earth. Then there's Mahalel. His means the blessed God. It's a great name. Hard to say, but a great name. Jared means shall come down. Shall come down. Speaking of God, shall come down. Enoch, most interesting one in in the reading, in my opinion, because Enoch means teaching. We find him there in Genesis chapter five and verse 24, and it says that Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him. In a long genealogical line where it says so-and-so lived so many years and then died, the only one who doesn't die is Enoch in this passage. He's a picture of the raptured Christian in the future. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 5 says, By faith Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. In the book of Jude chapter 1 verses 14 and 15 it says, Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied. We understand now that Enoch was a prophet of God and he prophesied the Lord comes with 10,000 of his saints to execute judgment. He gives birth to a son. His name is Methuselah. 
Methuselah lived longer than any others. He lived 969 years. What's interesting is that, that his name means his death shall bring. Shall bring what? He was a walking prophecy. His name said when he's gone, then something's gonna happen. Can you imagine having that name? And they would call his name Methuselah, and they'd say, good thing he's living a long time because when he's dead, something is coming. What's interesting is that Methuselah died in the same year that the floodwaters came upon the earth. The mercy of God showed that he, would, he was allowing that prophecy to stay on and on and on and give man a chance to repent, but man chose not to repent. And so only eight were saved in that flood. Methuselah, his death shall bring. Lamech means the despairing, the despairing. And then, of course, the tenth, and that's Noah. His name means rest or comfort. He is called in 2 Peter a preacher of righteousness. A preacher of righteousness. You see, Noah prophesied and preached. During that day, he said, God is going to bring rain on the earth. But remember, it had never rained before. He's going to flood the earth, and he's going to save all those who enter into the ark. And everyone laughed at him and ridiculed and made fun of him. And only eight people went into the ark. Can I remind you that ark only had one door? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father except by me. There's only one way into salvation. Can I remind you that God told Adam or told Noah to go into the ark? He didn't say, he didn't say, he's come into the ark. He didn't say go into the ark. He said, come into the ark. God was in the ark. And it was 40, remember? It rained for 40 days and 40 nights, the number of testing. And so here we see God taking eight people. Eight, by the way, is a number of new beginnings in Scripture. So he's going to start the entire world over with someone by the name of Noah. Now, what would happen if we took and we put all this together and we, we kind of looked at all of those names? Because, you see, what happens in the Hebrew text is God hides things, remember? It's the glory of God to hide something, but it is the glory of kings to search it out. I want you to know God wants you to be a king in the word of God. He wants you to search out the deep things of God and see these things. When you study the Hebrew, it's an amazing language. I, I had uh, enough of it in seminary to know that I would never be good at it. But let's take a look at these names. Adam means man, and Seth appointed, and Enosh mortal, and Kenan sorrow, and Mahalel, a blessed God, Jared shall come down, Enoch teaching, Methuselah his death shall bring, Lamech the despairing, Noah rest or comfort. Random names, correct, but what happens if we put it into a sentence? Look at this next slide. I know you have more. There it is. Genesis 5 reveals the gospel hidden within the genealogy. Look what it says. Man is appointed mortal sorrow, but the blessed God shall come down teaching that his death shall bring the despairing rest. Just leave that up there. Leave that slide up there, please. <laughs> hidden within Genesis chapter 5 is the message of the gospel. From Adam to Noah, man is appointed mortal sorrow, but the blessed God shall come down, teaching that his death shall bring the despairing rest. That is the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is that there is a struggle on life, that life becomes difficult and challenging, that sometimes you don't know if there's a purpose and a reason for it, but God has woven into every page of Scripture. He's woven into every life that's on planet Earth a divine purpose and a divine heart to know him.
You see, when you, when you rush into the heart of God, that's when you find the gold. You don't find it in success. That's why Jesus said, don't lay up for yourself treasures on earth. You think that's what it's all about. You imagine standing before God in eternity and he looks you in the eye and he says, you had it all wrong. You're my child and I love you and you're gonna come into heaven, but you missed out on everything I was trying to tell you because you made it about you. You made it about your success, about your wealth, about your future, about your retirement. You missed out on everything. I remember that scene from Schindler's List. We remember it well if we've seen the movie where Schindler is trying to figure out how he can buy more Jews to save them from the Nazi war machine. He looks down at the pin on his lapel and he said, with this I could have bought, and I can't remember exactly how many, I could have bought more Jews. And he realized that in that whole scenario, so much of what he held on to was worthless when it was all said and done. Worthless. No man is a fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. No man is a fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. The missionary C.T. Studd said that. He, give, he was a, one of the most celebrated athletes of Oxford. He and six others decided they would give their entire life for the mission field. They gave up wealth, fame, they gave up everything. And they went to China, Burma, different places like that. When C.T. Studd was old in life and he was gonna die within that year, his daughter came to visit him in a little hut in Burma. And he realized it was her birthday. And he said, oh dear, I, I've forgotten it's your birthday. He said, let me, let me give you something. And he looked around the little hut that he'd lived in the last 60 years and he said oh my I don't have anything to give I've given it all to Jesus that's the best testimony a father will ever have a mother will ever have is I've given it all to Jesus I want you to know if you don't give your heart to Jesus you don't have anything and if you don't as a Christian if you don't give your all to Jesus you don't have anything really you think you do but what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul let's stand together you just bow your heads and pray with me? Dear Lord God, we thank you for the journey you took us on through the lives of 10 people in, in the scripture. And may, Father, we be encouraged, Father, to, to know the power and the importance of the genealogical tables, that, that somehow they highlight the importance of family and, and our role in society, and they validate prophecy, and they illustrate biblical truth, and, and they tell us, God, that every single person is important, and the life that you live is important and significant and should never be wasted or squandered on, on anything or anyone. May, may mothers and fathers, may they raise up their children to be warriors for the kingdom. May they train up their children, not just take them to church, but train them up to be kingdom warriors. If today you, you've, you're uncertain about your eternal destiny, I, I'd ask you to pray with me a prayer like this one. Dear Lord Jesus, God will hear you right where you stand, right where you sit. Dear Lord Jesus, I ask you to forgive me of my sin. I believe you died on the cross 
that you were buried and rose from the dead to give me eternal life. And by faith, I trust you and I love you. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus, right now, right in this moment, as you promised you would. If that was your prayer, then thank him that he did what he said he would do. The Bible says if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, here's the promise, we will be saved. Saved. If that was your prayer, thank God, right where you stand, right where you said. If you're a Christian and you haven't been standing, determine now you will stand. Maybe prayer, a prayer like this one. Dear God, as a Christian, I have not stood as I should. I have not lived the life that I should. I've not been in the Word of God. I've not made a priority the things of God, but today that changes. Today, I'm gonna do that. Today, I'm gonna determine to do that. And God, if I slip back into my old ways, I'm gonna remember this day, and I'm gonna go back, and I'm gonna live for you. You see, every day is a recommitment. It is setting yourself apart to say, I'm going to live for God today. Amen? Amen.